On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Sidetracks, the unscripted and unruly series where we share with you what we've been watching and whether it's worth your time. Of course, this is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. For the first time Gizmo, all night. Gizmo says he's honorary member. Honorary member. Uh, this is Sidetracks 33. Wow. The last episode we're recording in January, but the first episode in February? Maybe the second. First episode in February. No, yeah, yeah, because the second is this Friday, so this would be released. So, yeah. Happy, happy Valentine's Day next week if you celebrate. Happy belated Groundhog's Day. Yes. One of the best days of the year. Which best is, days of the year. It's funny. You say it's one of the best days of the year, and then going to the opposite of Valentine's Day, Taylor hates Valentine's Day. I don't get super serious about Valentine's Day, but it's kind of fun. I say have a Valentine's Day. Treat yourself don't pressure your partner to, you know, make you too much. And don't feel pressured to do too much. And if you're single, fuck it. It's just Valentine's Day. It's mm-hmm. a corporate holiday. It's fine. For me, it's like, I just like the excuse to go out and have a nice dinner. Like, I don't expect any gifts, but I'm, I love eating. Any, t- any chance there is to have food, I'm all about it. So. I like making homemade Valentine's cards for Aww. my Valentine. I made Scott a Guy Fieri one Aww, last year. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I think it was like, thanks for taking me to Flavortown Valentine or something Aww. like that. Because maybe I'll do a triple D pun this year. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's just, it's very cash. Actually, weirdly, Pontypool took place on Valentine's Day. Yes, and when we were watching that, I was like, oh my god, we only released this like a week or two later. We I know. I didn't have any idea, though. I, I completely forgot. I was like, oh, shit. But, you know, it wasn't, like, Valentine's heavy. It's okay. Maybe, like, people will watch it this week or next week, and then we'll be like, what a coincidence. Yeah, so yeah. if you want to save it for a horror thing... You know, it's all good. I did I did watch some Oscar Yay! nominees this weekend. Yay! Yay! How about you? Did you check any more off your list that you needed to? I did. So, unfortunately, uh, not. I only had two Best Picture nominees to go, which is American Fiction and uh, The Zone of Interest. Zone of Interest is coming to Birmingham officially this week, so I'll be catching it this week or next week. Um, and American Fiction, we know, is coming to Apple TV soon. We just don't know when. But I did yeah. see... The Boy and the Heron. Oh, yeah. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. The Boy and the Heron is? I thought it was... That's where it's supposed to be streaming. Where's it streaming now? Oh, oh no. I saw it at Sidewalk. Oh. Yeah, I saw it at Sidewalk. So, I, I looked it up on Variety. You know, they had a list of, like, where things are streaming. And they said yeah. The Boy and the Heron was supposed to be streaming on Apple TV+. Oh, okay. Yeah, because usually Apple TV does that little scroll thing, and it'll tell you. It's still in theaters in yeah. some places. So, maybe it's coming up. 
But that's where it was saying you should watch it. But it looks like AMC theaters especially. Yeah, so that was the thing. I felt really guilty because The Boy and the Heron was in AMC. I know all of December just about, and I didn't get to see it. And by the time that I told Taylor, we're going to see it this week, it was out. Um, and so Sidewalk announced it. And I found out the lead character, Mahito, is my nephew, my younger nephew's age. So I was like, how about I take we take our younger nephew? And so... I didn't know if he would be into it or not, but I was like, let's go ahead and uh, let's just take him. So this was nominated for Best Animated. There is a rumor. It's not really a rumor. Supposedly this was supposed to be Hala Miyazaki's last film. But, but they he also, won't retire. Yeah. They said that about The Wind Rises 10 years ago, yeah, too. So, so uh, But this one has all the makings of like what could be a last Miyazaki film. I will say this, guys. So, it's a PG-13 movie, and so it's not as violent as Princess Monoki, but it's pretty damn violent. Really? Yes. There's a lot more blood. So, we went on a Saturday matinee. It was like 1230, and there was a lot of kids in the theater. So, I'm not just talking like 13-year-olds like my nephew. There was like six, seven, eight-year-olds with their parents, which makes sense. Did they cry? Uh, I've overheard a lot of parents whispering to their children because they were having to explain things to their children. Uh. Because the movie was a little advanced. Like, it's it's a Ghibli film, but it's a yeah. lot more advanced than, like, Kiki's Delivery be- Service, be- My Neighbor Totoro. Ghibli, at least, like, Spirited Away, like, had more meaning behind it. It wasn't just simply, like, here's a cute little cartoon. Yeah. Like, but what I was going to say about The Boy and the Heron, and this happens in the first 20 minutes, guys, mm-hmm. so it's not like a super spoiler. And you can see on the poster that uh, Mahito, the protagonist, has like a scar on his head. He gets into a fight with um, some of his classmates, and as he's walking home, he picks up a rock and just smacks himself in the side of the head, and oh blood God. gushes out. And, As it would, because yeah. you have a lot of veins in your face. Yeah, and it's like, it was like shocking. Like, I, I knew there was like some kind of self-injury. I read there was a trigger warning somewhere, so I knew there was a self-injury, but it still kind of shocked me. And as I'm sitting there and the blood starts gushing, I'm just like, oh my god, because there are a bunch of kids there. Um, well, in the opening scenes in the movies, now it's done very, very artistically, because of course I did this to myself. Uh, his mother dies in the oh, opening scenes. Oh, of course. Scenes. Yeah. And so it's set during World War it's set during World War Two and it's wartime and the hospital uh-uh. she's in gets burned up and uh-uh. he's running trying uh-uh. to save her. And so you don't see her death on screen, but the whole movie is about him dealing with the grief and the fallout and his dad remarries his mom's younger sister and she's pregnant. Oh. And so like obviously He's doing. Wait, is it taking place during World War II or after World War II? Like, yeah. So it's during. It's during. Where like, do the they war. live? Uh, so they 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 flee. It's. I guess it's a major city. I don't know if they ever say it for sure, but they flee essentially something like Tokyo to go to like the countryside. So they're not in. No. Hiroshima. Or no, no. It's no com- no combat. You don't okay, see good. any combat. You see, I mean, the the hospital burns down, but you don't see like any combat or anything. You know, his dad uh, makes like. Uh, like, uh, I think it's planes or boats he's making for the military. So his dad's yeah. involved in production. And once again, this is very loosely based on Miyazaki's life. So yeah. it's emerging. The Japanese title is called How Do You Live? Because Miyazaki, when he was, a, he was a kid, there was a very famous book called How Do You Live? And it was about, and you know, becoming a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very beautiful because there is an allusion to that. Like, so the film is not adaptation of the book, but there is an allusion to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second half of the movie, without going into great spoiler detail, there's essentially this realm that he gets pulled in that's like almost another dimension. Like away. Like kind of, like kind of like spirited away, but there's a grand master who's looking for a successor. And I didn't oh. make this connection but a lot of people seem to think that Miyazaki is the he's both 
Mahito and the Grandmaster because he's about Aww. to retire and he's looking they for a successor. They still haven't found a successor. It's, well, it's, have you heard about his son? Goro? Yeah, Goro. What so, happened to Goro? So what happened? I didn't really know that. I there know was, he's a director. Yeah, well, too. he he made one. He made one like one or two anime movies. I think one, and it was like Tales of Earthsea. And supposedly Miyazaki left in the middle of it to go take a cigarette break and never came back. And Goro has said before, like, you know, he's a great director, but he's not a really great father. And he <laughs> sacrificed a, a, his family to be the master that he is. So I think there is a lot, there's a lot of illusions in the movie. And I'll be honest, I, I wouldn't have known anything about it if, if it wasn't for the fact I read some some of these ideas after I saw the movie because I didn't want to be spoiled and the movie is very touching um mm-hmm. so I did tear up by the end of it um but yeah it's deep it's not like it's not like a simple movie there's a lot going on and if you guys aren't fluent in the Japanese language I do recommend watching the dub first because mm-hmm. there is definite layers to this story uh. I think it's very beautiful I Ooh. think it's very poetic I don't think I could just recommend it to anyone yeah. it being a Ghibli film I will say Ghibli usually they spend a lot of attention to who's dubbing their films yeah, into English. Yeah, the voice actors are incredible. Yeah, because How's Moving Castle has Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale plays Mahito's yeah. father in this yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Florence Pugh's in it. Um, oh, good. God, uh, uh, what's, what's her name? She's uh, Kimiko and the boys. She's in it. Why did I just blank on her name? Um, but she plays one of the lead characters, too. There's a lot of great actors. Um, Willem Dafoe is in this <gasps> one. Yeah. Love him. So... Yeah, they know what they're doing with the dubs. Um, Honestly, the English dubs of Ghibli are probably some of the best dubs you'll ever get for anime, or really just film. I will say it's very interesting because... So, out of the five Academy Award nominees for Best Animated Film, it's definitely going to be between this and Spider-Man Across the Mm Spider-Verse. And the thing is, if this one wins, it'll be the first time a animated 2D film has won since Spirited Away won. Back the very first anime. Spirited Away was... But I think I'll never forget. I actually was watching the Academy Awards when Spirited Away won, and I started jumping up and down because it was an anime, and I was so excited that anime. I won. remember yeah. that Academy Awards because I I hadn't seen the movie yet, mm-hmm. and I just saw just the video, the part where like she's on the train, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I want to see this movie. It looks really pretty. I really like this art style. What is this thing? Anime? And like that was. One thing that kind of, like, got me to start watching more anime, because I was just like, I want to watch this. But then I didn't end up watching that movie until I was an adult, but then I watched it and cried like a fucking baby. Yeah. Um, and it was really good. It's really good. It's a great movie. And it's not that sad. Yeah. Honestly. This one, this but. one is beautiful. I'm not going to tell you it's not beautiful. I just think it's... I think, okay, so I, I, I told our friend this, because, you know, I made the mistake last year when The French Dispatch came out, Wes Anderson's The French uh-huh. Dispatch. I showed it to Taylor, and that was Taylor's first Wes Anderson movie. I was like, that was a bad mistake for a Wes Anderson movie, because it's the most Wes Anderson of Wes Anderson. Anderson. You have to start small. And see, I did the same thing to my poor 13-year-old nephew. I was like, holy shit, rather than giving him Spirited Away or Cookie's Delivery Service, I fucking laid this one in his lap. And his did he hate it? Uh, he... He was really, he actually has ADHD, and I was super impressed because it's about like two hours, mm-hmm. 20 minutes. He paid attention the whole time, but I could see visual, I could see visual confusion on his face at certain points. Yeah. So I would have to lean over and be like, this is what's happening. Well, to be yeah, fair, you so, didn't know that it was going to be such a complicated movie. I didn't, I mean, I, I just kept seeing four star after four star after yeah. four star. Also, again. it's like yeah. the boy and the heron. It's like, okay, that's. 
pretty simple. Oh, Rob Patterson. Rob Patterson is a heron too. I forgot to mention okay, that. Rob Patterson. Yeah, it, it's so funny because it's like just a, such a it's such a unique, oh funky God. little character. There's a there's a lot of bird hate going on in this movie. That's a completely other subject. Oh my God. Like, it's like it's not just a heron. There's oh, like no. the heron. There's parakeets. There's you know it's like hey. oh my God. If you're an ornithologist oh, or an ornithusiast. Uh, guys, I'm gonna just spoil something for you outright real quick and then let Katie get into her movies. Um, <laughs> there is a very, very there's a pelican scene where a pelican is injured and is dying and asks <gasps> Mahito to put it out of his misery. No, yes, it is war horse. And I was just like and I'm just sitting there <laughs> and I'm literally guys, I'm not even lying, I'm between my nephew and my husband. I'm gripping the seat because it's kind of traumatizing me a little bit. Like yeah. my heart's starting to beat really fast. To be fair, it's yeah. just a cartoon. I know, I know, I know. It's, it's just I, a drawing. It's just usually you take that eraser, it's gone. It's usually anything with like animal suffering. Yeah, no, I feel you. It's like a it's like a trigger for me, which I think is gonna lead into actually a good segue to one of the movies you watch. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah. So segueing right in, I finally got to watch Anatomy of a Fall. Yes. Which I've been looking forward to since Sundance. No, Cons last year. Con last yeah. year. And it is nominated for. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, and Best Original Screenplay? It is. I want to say. Yeah. Sandra Holler is the actress, and I'm blanking on the director's name. Oh, uh, Justine Tit. Yes. Triette. Triette. Yes, thank you. It is a French movie. However, a lot of it is in English and German, too. Yeah. Mostly English, but Cassandra Holler is a German actress, and she actually wrote the movie for her, with her in mind. It's... It might be in theater still, I think, in some places, but it's right now it's available to rent on Prime and a lot of other places. Yeah. So you can rent it right now, which is what I did. Um, it's only like six bucks, so I wanted to rent it. It's definitely worth a rental. Under three, it's like two and a half hours, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, it's usually this woman who's an author and her husband. Um, her husband's French, <laughs> she's German, and her little boy who is uh, visually impaired and has a guide dog. Yes. Name. Oh, what's the dog's name? Uh, Snoop. 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 Like Snoop Dog. Like yes, the that's how I remember. Because um, he keeps playing P.I.M.P. at the beginning yeah, of the Yeah, he film. keeps playing an instrumental version of P.I.M.P. by... Was it Snoop or 50 Cent? No, it was 50 Cent. 50, yeah. By 50 Cent. And I was like, sorry, someone's probably screaming in the microphone, 50 Cent, bro! P-I-M-P. Yeah. But anyways, but like, I was like, why does it sound so familiar? And then I saw on the, on the, um, the um Sub- fucking subtitles. Subtitles was like P I M P. I was like, oh, I know that. But basically, they live in a little chalet in the French countryside. It's snowing, and she, everything seems okay. But the husband is found dead from an apparent fall from the top of the ski chalet, and um, but he was trying to basically he was trying to refinish, and the wife was taking a nap with earplugs in and the little boy was out for a walk. So obviously the only people in the house are the wife. And so because of that and because of blood splatter, they indict her. And so it's basically a courtroom drama, drama, drama. And also the little boy is the only witness. So he kind of has a moral dilemma of like, because he wasn't there. He just knows what happened before and after. Yeah. And it's basically a courtroom drama, and it's very well acted. It's very beautifully shot, even though, like, a lot of it takes place in a courtroom. 
Like, the stuff in the ski chalet is very well done. It also does a really good job of... There's a specific scene where there is a recording of a fight that happens. And they show you the non-ambiguous part of the shot as acted out by the two actors playing the husband and wife. However, the ambiguous and maybe incriminating part they do not show you what actually happened. So it's left up to your interpretation. And there's another scene. These are my two favorite parts of it. There's that part that I was like, that is a very good way to put the audience in the role of the jury. Yeah. Because the jury didn't get to see it. But I also liked that they showed, like, the lead-up to what happens. I won't tell you what happens. But basically there's a part that could be incriminating or might not be at all. But you don't see what happens just like a jury wouldn't see what happens. Um, and then the other part is there is a part of the boy's testimony where he is basically saying what his dad said to him. But instead of using the father's voice, they show the video of him talking and it's the son's voice talking through him. Yeah. Because it's what he heard his dad. And witness testimony is from the witness's perspective, not the person's. Which is smart, but I yes. also, I, I have something to add to that, but I don't want to get into spoilers. <laughs> Do we, we, I, okay, so go watch it. We're going to get into slight spoilers, because it's not, I wanted to do it on the podcast, but I, it's not really horror at all. You know, it is a murder mystery. Anyways, so let's get into spoilers. Go watch that, go rent it. Because the thing that got me was, okay, so I knew that it was nominated for the Queer Palm. Yeah. But it won Best Picture at Con. Uh, or the or the it, Palm it, d'Or. And it lost Queer Palm. And it lost Queer Palm. It lost... It won the Pet Award. Yes. For Pet Actor Yeah, because Snoop was amazing. Because Snoop was really good. But I was like... I was like, why is it the Queer Palm? Because, you know, when she's interviewing with that student, I was like, is there a vibe? I felt there was at the beginning. I did too, but I was like, maybe I'm just reading too much into this. No, it's the way she's like, it is slightly flirtatious, but not overtly. But not overtly. Yeah. But I mean, some people just like... I don't know, sometimes when you meet a new friend, it almost feels like you're flirting with someone, even though you don't have a sexual feeling towards them, you're just excited that you've met someone that you've connected with. And I will admit, I got got accused of being a flirt a lot just because I was friendly, and I'm like, look, I I have no sense of when people like me or anything. It's not like that. I have a very hard time determining that. Yeah, it's like, woohoo, blinders. But in the courtroom, they bring up that she's bisexual, and she's cheated on him, and that's what reminded me of the staircase because at first it was very unplausible that he would ever cheat on he would ever kill Kathleen mm-hmm. because uh Michael was so in the real story they seemed so in love but then like they were like well he was bisexual and he had like all these flirtatious messages but he was like but we had an open marriage yeah and it's this whole societal thing about judging people who have open marriages or it's like people can't understand that bisexual people don't always want to cheat on their spouses. Yeah. And she did, but it wasn't because she was bisexual. It was because she hadn't had sex in years. And yeah. her husband, for one reason or another, wouldn't or couldn't have sex with her. And it was very frustrating for her. And she yeah. apologized about it. So, I don't know. 
I was like, ooh, that ring's very similar to the staircase. But what were you going to say? So spoilery. I was going to say, so, and Katie knows this because when we talked about it on the last side tracks when I watched it, she hadn't yet. I was like, one of the most distressing scenes of the year for oh me is in this movie. So, um, oh my God. basically, it comes down to they're trying to help. I forget what Sandra's character's name. The lead I think it's of, Sandra. It, it, it is Sandra. You're right. And right. weirdly, the yeah. guy who plays the husband, Samuel's first name is Samuel, but they wrote the script before casting him. Oh, wow. That is awesome. So, it's a cool coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, they're, they're trying to say, hey, Samuel probably committed suicide and Sandra. So, that's the big thing. Did she murder him or did he kill himself? Yeah. And so, um, she says she forgets. She forgets until like later. She's like, actually, he had taken he he there, he vomited, and I cleaned up the vomit, and I realized there's a lot of Tylenol in it. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't even think about it till now. And her son starts to put it together that his dog was really sick. So to test around the, theory, the same time, yeah, to test the theory, he feeds his dog like a whole fucking bottle of aspirin. And yeah. the dog almost dies, and thank God he doesn't. Yeah. But this dog is like the greatest damn actor. Like I swear to God, he been. I thought it for- was like a um, dummy, and then he like got back up, and I was like, okay. I thought I, if this if there if this dog had been nominated for best supporting actor, he probably won it honestly because yeah. the performance was so good. But no, it was very I was distressing. very distressed. His oh, tongue's hanging out of his, his mouth, tongue, and his eyes are rolled glossy. Back. Like you're just uh, like it bo- was terrifying. I was like, oh my God, the dog's dead. And then I I hadn't looked forward at any of these movies. Movies, and I was like, I have to know if the dog survives. And I was like, okay, cool. Then I can keep watching the movie. Literally, because Taylor was with me watching this movie. He could see my whole body seizing up because it's like, also, like, without going into it, guys, I've had a few family pets that died in traumatic ways. So that's another yeah. reason I was kind of getting triggered. And Taylor's like, just hold on, hold on, hold on. And then he's fine, uh, which was okay. But of course, immediately after the movie was over, I started looking up. I was like, is their animal welfare laws different than ours on film set? So those oh, are the kind yeah. of things I was thinking. No, it just turns out his trainer's just that good. She, like, trained him. Like, he wasn't harmed. He was perfectly okay. But um, Katie brought it up that, you know, there's a scene afterwards. So her, the caregiver for the son is, like, you know, because the son's, like, trying to figure out. Because I think he he doesn't want to believe his mom can be guilty of murdering his but dad. But he doesn't really know if his dad was capable. He didn't know his dad was suicidal. Yeah. Because the mom, very rightly, didn't, like, burden her child with, your dad's suicidal and here's all our marriage problems. But here's the thing. The caregiver tells him, she's like, you know, you have to decide what you believe and you have to live with that. Yeah. And of course, if I was a child in the same position, I wouldn't want to live believing my mom was capable of killing my dad. So Katie mentions the scene where it's, it's like, He's talking about his dad's driving Snoop to the vet, and he's like, hey, one day Snoop's going to be gone. But you hear it through his son's voice. So the dad's talking, but it's his son. Yeah. And it almost makes me wonder if it's if it's the son manipulating the memory. Like, the memory happened, right. but if, if that's the cue, is that it's for his voice, so he's right. making the deciding factor. So I'm like, could she be guilty? Like, and that's the one thing that made me kind of wonder. Yeah. A little well, bit. Well, and you don't see yeah. what happens. Because basically the part that I didn't want to spoil, but I will now that we're going to spoil it. Yes. Basically, so she was a very successful writer. And she wrote about her their son's accident that causes blindness. Which was kind not completely her husband's fault, but basically because he didn't, it, he didn't manage his time well. And mm-hmm. so because he didn't pick up. Daniel, which is the son, the babysitter did, and because she picked him up late, they were in the spot where a motorcycle hit him at the wrong time, 
Which really isn't his fault, but, like, she'd been a little mad at him, but then let it go. And he couldn't let it go, which is why his mental health was declining. And they basically, you know, they were... He kept bringing that up, and they're... they're, So he hadn't ever been able to publish a book he'd been teaching. But um, he decided to try to write a book, he just started recording random parts of their life, and he started out telling them, and then it got so normal that he just stopped telling and asking permission. So he recorded this awful fight that he and his wife had the day before, where you can't tell who did what, but obviously someone got physical. Like, a glass is broken, you can hear, and somebody's slapping And labored breathing. And there's breathing. So obviously... But it doesn't really sound like anyone got punched, so... She says she threw a glass and then he slapped himself, or she slapped him once. Yeah. He grabbed her arm and then he slapped himself, like, like he was so frustrated, like, basically pulling his own hair out kind of action. And you don't see that part. You see the lead up to it, but you never see the physical stuff that happens. So you don't know for sure if she's telling the truth or not. I don't understand why she would want to kill her husband, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, like it, it doesn't really seem like there would be a positive for to me that for her. if she did murder him. And this is the great thing; it's so ambiguous. Like you really don't even know at the yeah. end of the movie. And I think when like Justine and Sandra had this conversation, where Justine is like, "I don't know," and she's like, "I can't tell you, Sandra, because I don't know if if she's guilty or not." Like you yeah. have to make that decision. Um, but what I do like at the end of the movie, so I part of me thinks that maybe. Because her son made up his mind of what he was going to choose to talk to the jury about. I'm like, maybe she could be guilty. But then, to me, and as an animal lover, not everyone's going to agree to me. This speaks volumes. So, Sandra's acquitted. She goes Mm -hmm. home. She lays down in her house. And the dog jumps up next to her and joins her. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, I think that speaks volumes that the animal comes and joins her at the end. Because they sense goodness. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's like kind of... I feel like it ended on the positive note that maybe she well, was in this And she also... You see her really miss her husband. Not that I guess yeah. you couldn't... Because the whole thing is like... It's not like a, even a premeditated murder. It's more of they thought that she maybe... They got into a fight and she hit him and yeah. then pushed him off to cover up the fact that she hit him. Yeah. But there's no blood up in the top of the chalet. Like, it would be really weird... I just didn't see enough evidence. And I have been on a jury one time, and it was about an assault case. No one died, thank God. It is very stressful, because you don't really know who's telling the truth. Because all you have as evidence is physical evidence presented to you, which was just, like, pictures, basically, usually, and maybe a video, and what the person on the stand is telling you at that time. Yeah. And they're not supposed to lie, but, I mean, they can. I just think of, like, basically the one that's arguing against her that believes the one, I guess, a juror. The that, prosecutor? Thank you, the prosecutor. That was the word I was looking for. The prosecutor is like, he was playing P-I-N-P all day, and that's a notorious misogynist song. And, like, one of the other ones is like, it was the intermenstrual version. Like, you yeah. know, like, I love that. Also, I was fascinated by the yeah. way the French court system yes, works. It's, it's like, like a circle. It's like everything's in a circle. And, yeah. like, all the lawyers can ask questions of the witness at the same time. You have to stand in a box. Oh, 
and it's claustrophobic. It's it so like... weird. I think British courtrooms are similar too, where like things are like in a half. Circle. And they all dress a certain way. So yeah, it's very similar to British, where they have like robes. They don't. I don't think they had wigs, but they yeah. had robes, um, which is fine. But it's just interesting. But. Yeah, it's a really good movie, and, you know, I don't think she killed him. I think he, I think he either jumped or fell. I can't really speak that he committed suicide. Yeah. Because that, or I'm sorry, died by suicide is actually the proper way to say it now. Um, I, I can't commit that, because I don't, you don't really know that much about him from his own perspective. It's yeah. only from the wife and the son's perspective and friends, but it, it does seem like he was troubled and he got off his depressants with his antidepressants which is never a great thing you're never that stable right after you wean yourself off of antidepressants unless you've done a lot of work and it seemed like he wasn't going to therapy so i I you know yeah but it could have also been he fell I just love the ambiguity of it. Yeah. Like, I really like that you don't get the answers, because... But I think you get enough that you can choose what you want to believe yeah. in. It's kind of like the end of Parasite, where you're like, does this happy thing happen? Or not? We're not sure. We would like, probably not. We would love to believe me... Without going into Parasite, really going into <laughs> Parasite, I'm like, I would love to be, like, an optimist, but then you listen to the lyrics of the song, and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's right. It would take you 243 years to buy that house. Give or take. Yeah. So, like, you <laughs> know, maybe you win the lottery. Yeah, I mean, that would be lovely. We'll that would see. be lovely. But yeah, but. Anatomy of a Fall, I think it's definitely an interesting film. I can't recommend it to everybody once again. <gasps> But I found I out why like it's it. not in Best International Film. Oh, we talked about that, too. Did we, did, did we talk about how she made... Do you know why, though? I Jonathan sent me an article, actually. At yeah. Con, her acceptance speech talked about Francis having a lot of protests about oh. retirement funds, I think, and retirement age, and, and pension funds. Mm-hmm. And they're literal farmers... And there's a bunch of stuff politically going on in France right now. There are a bunch of farmers dumping literal manure on on government buildings in protest. What wow. the government's trying to do. So she mentioned it in her con speech. And con is in France, of course, and she's a French director. And a lot of people think that the reason that Anatomy of a Fall wasn't nominated by the because the by the way, international film was nominated by the nominated by the countries of origin. Mm. So they're pretty sure France was like absolutely not. So even though Anatomy of a Fall has been the like the most we'll talked talk about, about French one. movie, yeah. which did a French movie even get nominated for Oscars? This? No, uh, the yeah. taste of things didn't make shortlist. That was the controversies that people purposely voted out of the shortlist after Anatomy because, of a Fall yeah. because they basically are politically which is crazy blackballing her. Because if we so if we had seen Anatomy of a Fall. In the international category, it was probably going to be the only one that could really shake up the Son of Interest. Because yeah. the thing is, with Son of Interest and Nadia Fall, they're both nominated for Best Picture as well. Blazer not American? Why did I think he was... Oh, no, he's British, isn't he? Yeah, I think... Isn't it like a British-German collaboration? I Maybe. Because I'm guessing it's in German. Because perfect, finally, Perfect Days is coming, and that's Japanese. And it, it oh, did, yeah, it did make short, Yeah, it did make short lists. Yeah. It, made, uh, it actually made the top five, too. Yeah. So... Yeah. But I, I do want to... I haven't seen Zone of Interest because there's nowhere to see it yet yeah. in, until it yeah. should be at Sidewalk. It is coming. I think yeah. this, it'll be this weekend and then for two weeks after this weekend. Yeah, so. which I do want to see, although it doesn't... It's Jonathan Glazer who did Under the Skin. It's very... So. I heard it's one of the more avant-garde <laughs> I was nominations. Say, that's yeah. all he did. <laughs> Even the really, trailer... He's done a lot of 
funny and not funny movies, but uh, I really like how beautiful Under the Skin was, but it was one of those movies where I was just like, does it have to be this avant-garde? So the thing about the sort of interest, I'll say very quickly, so I've been reading about this movie for months, and then finally I was so excited for the trailer to drop because I was like, I kept reading about it, and then Neon drops the trailer, I'm like, you wouldn't, if I hadn't read the review, I would have no fucking idea what the movie was about. Yeah, Nothing. I haven't watched the trailer yet, but it, I just know what it's about. It doesn't, it doesn't, you would never guess it's about anything to do with the concentration camps or yeah. anything. So. Well, it's really about, like, yeah, that specific guy. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about the happy thing I watched? Yes. Or the thing that I'm disappointed that I watched? First. Let's get the happy thing okay. out okay. of the okay. way. You ever have a break in between? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I watched Rustin, which I'm very surprised is only nominated for Best Actor, actor but it is uh, Coleman Domingo, mm-hmm. who I very much love. He's um, Rue's sponsor in Euphoria. He's had a ton of things for years. He's been out there a long time, but I'm really excited for him. And tell him one of the best things about the Academy Awards this year, one of the history-making things. What is it? Uh, I've forgotten. It's okay. It's okay. So Coleman Domingo is the first oh, uh, queer actor, queer actor to play a queer character. Since, uh, since. Ian... Who? Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen, thank you. And Gods and Monsters, I think, in like 98. I don't remember which one it is. I want to say it's Gods and Monsters. He was nominated for a yeah. lot of things, so. Yeah. But we love Sir Ian McKellen. I think but, it was Gods and Monsters. Who but Frazier. usually, if there's a queer <laughs> character that the Academy recognizes, it's usually played by a straight person, because apparently queer people can't play other queer people. I don't know but why. But queer actors can be nominated playing straight characters. Yes. Yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> but he is. He's playing a queer person. Also, I do believe the director, who is George C. Wolf, I believe he is an openly gay man as well, as well as a African, of African-American director. He's oh, nice. a longtime theater director. Um, he directed the Broadway um, premiere stagings of both parts of Angels in America, the original that Tony Kushner's blessing was upon, and Top Dog Underdog, which is another fantastic by Suzanne E. Perks? Which is only a two-person show. It's only a two-person show. Actually, uh, at the uh, Birmingham Festival Theater is going to do it later this year. Nice. Which I'm really excited about. um, Because I saw it in college, and I really liked it. And so there's a director who was like, oh, that's on my bucket list. And so um, she's going to come direct it. Um, but um, and Suzanne Laurie Parks, that's the that's the writer of that. But he also directed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I really liked, which was the movie that Chadwick Boseman was nominated for Best Actor and then didn't win because he lost Anthony Hopkins posthumously and it was weird. Um, and he also directed The Devil Wears Prada, which I didn't know that. I had no idea that no. would have been directed by a queer black I didn't, man. Um, but yeah, he did. He won a Tony Award for directing Angels in America Millennium Approaches. And he's done musicals and his movies include... Devil Wears Prada, Garden State. Oh, he's an actor in Garden State. Wait, he's an actor in these. I thought these were all his directors. Oh. Oh, my God. I feel stupid. I was going to say, I knew he didn't direct Garden State. But he did Fires in the Mirror, Nights in the Rodan, You're Not You. But he did do Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay. That's what I thought they were putting it all just as his director stuff. You know his IMDb, which is them all out? That's true. Wikipedia apparently didn't do that for this Mm. one. But he was in the Devil Wears Prada, and he was in Garden State. Okay, okay. That makes a lot lot more sense. He also did The Iceman Cometh in 2018. Nice. And The Normal Heart in 2011. Oh, Mother Courage and Her Children 
Take Me Out, which is about, like, a bunch of gay guys on a baseball team, mm. um, which everyone gets nude. That was the one that people taped. Yeah. And then they released it on the internet. Mm. And, like, uh, the actors were pissed because, like, now someone has made video of them when they were just going to be on a, you know. It's different to videotape something than be on a play. Anyways. Yeah. But George C. Wolf is a very prominent theater director. I'm surprised this movie isn't nominated for more. Like, because, so the movie is about Bayard, or Bayard, I think it's Bayard, um, Rustin, who is a very important, but not as well-known civil rights leader who was very close with Martin Luther King Jr., but a big reason that he is not talked about is because he was an openly gay man, and... I was going to say also a communist uh, for a short while, but, I mean, a lot of people who were liberal were communists and then they became socialists and then they became democratic socialists, which is what they kind of are now. Um, It's just, you know, the words changed. But um, there's a ton of amazing actors in this movie. Audrey McDonald is in, like, and Jeffrey Wright are in, like, the first, like, two minutes. I was like, oh, hey there. I love you both. Um, Chris Rock is in it in a serious role. Nothing funny oh, is wow. said by him, and he actually does a really good job. Um, the biology teacher from Gremlins, whose name is Glenn Turman, plays a real is a big part of this movie. Um, the guy who plays um, Martin Luther King Jr. played Simon in the really amazing miniseries I May Destroy You, Michaela. Oh yeah, Coles. yeah, yeah. Um, Amal uh, Amin, and there's also like a ton of theater actors, including uh, the recent Tony winner for the Tina Turner musical. Adrian Warren and Divine Joy Randolph, who yes, is up for supporting actress, yeah. plays Mahalia Jackson oh. in this, and she sings, and she, she's a really good singer because she started yeah. out in theater. So this was a good she's show also for her idol. too. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh hey, so like, there's all these really great actors in this movie. It's about a story that is important, especially now, to you know our identity as Americans and the civil rights movement and all that stuff. And it's told from a different perspective than I think has ever been told that I knew. Um, and also, there's part of the story is about him having a relationship with a closeted man who's another leader, which I don't... I didn't see a Wikipedia page for this actual person. So I'm not sure if they're based on a true civil rights leader or if they made up someone who was similar to someone he actually had a relationship with to not out someone who wasn't out. Yeah. I'm not sure which one this is because I only got so much. Because I watched this today, so I only got so much into it. Um, but it it kind of tells her, like, he has a relationship with this guy who's in the closet. And, like, Rustin chooses to be open and honest with himself. And this guy chooses not to. And it's just, like, two different paths taken. But that's not even the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is him... Because I didn't know this, he's really the person responsible for organizing the March on Washington where Martin Luther King Jr. did his I Have a Dream speech. Bonus points, because they didn't use the beginning, they only used the last paragraph of that whole speech. Oh, wow. And I was like, most people would just be, I have a dream. Yeah. And everyone would be like, oh, it's the speech. But instead they used the very end of it. And I was like, that was a nice touch. Yeah. But it's really well done. It's, I'm surprised they're not nominated for costumes because they have all these people in period costumes from the 60s and they have like period accurate buses driving into D.C. It's this huge reenactment of the March on Washington 
And, like, I don't know why this movie isn't nominated for more stuff. Yeah, now, we we saw this at Critics and Golden Globes, too, right? Where this wasn't nominated for Yeah, much. it's really just been Coleman Domingo. And he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. He brings his character to life. He genuinely, everyone looks like their um, historical characters. And it's a really good movie. And to be fair, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to the civil rights movement. Because the church and school I grew up when... Um, did have some run-ins with uh, the KKK because they were an uh, integrated school before it was popular in Alabama in the 60s. And they were basically a school for black families. And then black families let white families start going to school with them. Um, and the KKK didn't like that and tried to burn the church and school down. And the priest came out with a shotgun and scared them away. And so, like, growing up, it was a big thing that we talked about. And I'm really happy that it was brought up to me because... I think as a white person, I probably got exposed to more black history and more, like, truth about Alabama history than I think is required in Alabama history. And I think it taught me to be more open-minded and not... And I really just... I found it fascinating that how people worked so hard to get so far. I uh, I will say on the flip side of that, now, not that kind of history, I was... I was born and raised in Indiana, and I moved here when I was 12, but my third grade teacher was an African-American woman, and mm-hmm. she was very big on teaching us about uh, the civil rights movements. We also read, like, uh, Dear Abby as the American Girl uh-huh. series. That was the whole series. I love we Dear Abby is my second favorite next to Molly. Uh, Molly was my favorite, Molly, too. Yeah. then Abby, then Samantha, yes. then Kirsten. I did love Samantha, too. I feel like, it for you, it was like the school. And for me, I think it really depends on the teachers that I grew up with. Because I learned about the Holocaust when I was in yeah. second grade. So. And, and I mean, I know it's there's some like not great things about the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Like watching little kids get hit with um, hoses in Birmingham. Yeah. You know, not fun. People getting assassinated, not fun, but it's important to know that it's important to teach kids because if you don't teach that, there's a really good part where there's a flashback to Rustin participating in the Montgomery bus boycotts and he refuses to give up a seat and there's this white lady who calls him the N-word and says, tells her kid not to touch that N-word and when the police are arresting him, he's like, well, if I don't if I give up my seat, then this kid won't know that this is wrong. And so then you see the mom, like, seeing him getting beat by the police outside the bus. And she's you can see her face changing that she's like, oh, shit, I'm a shitbag, aren't yeah. I? And I'm like, it's important that people learn those lessons so we don't have to go through such a violent and awful thing again where people are getting assassinated for just wanting equal rights, you yeah. know? Um, but it's a really good movie. It's pretty positive. There's some sad bits, but nothing made me, like, cry in a sad way. I did tear up a lot emotionally because they use, they have a really great use of music. There's, like, a jazz score, uh, kind of like Birdman almost, but not drum heavy. But it's just, like, it's really well used and it's really well acted. And I think everyone should see it. And I'm disappointed it's not nominated for more. Yeah. Because it is really, really well done. Especially because Ma Rainey's Black Bottom got nominated for a lot of things. It's always interesting how that goes, I feel. Like, any given year, what's going to be. And that's the thing. Is I will say, and we'll have our whole Academy Award episode, so I'm not going to get on this tangent. And Ryan can play me off with the music. But I feel <laughs> like the 
between all the major award circuits that they all kind of went the boring route and they all went very similar with their nominees. But I would year. think a historical drama yeah. would be important. Like it's 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 a given. Like historical pieces are usually yeah. their bread and butter and it's a biopic. Yeah. And so I was just I was just surprised because I was just like, this movie's really good and and it, you know, like how the the trial of the Chicago Seven, what it tried to be, it's yeah. like this movie actually is it, but just about one person. But you know, but you see so many different civil rights leaders, and one of the best things they did was they did these very brief little text scrolls when someone important came, like a, yeah. a civil rights leader that you should know, but maybe you don't recognize them, so you never were completely unsure who anyone was, and they didn't have to do that awkward thing like. Mr. Martin Luther King Jr., how are you today? Yeah. It was like, I was like, although he was pretty easy to figure out because oh, he's awesome. a very recognizable face. There were some people that, like, I knew their names, but I didn't know their faces. And I was like, oh, that's that person. Oh, that's that person. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Um, So I really like that. It's just a really good movie. And it's on Netflix, so it's really easily accessible. And I hope Colin Domingo wins. No offense. Well, uh, Ryan Gosling's supporting actor, so yeah. never mind. Um, but also, if Jeffrey Wright wins, I'd be okay with it, too. Because yeah. those are my two faves. But I haven't even seen American Fiction, but Jeffrey Wright is in this as a kind of an asshole guy. Um, who does, who does, he doesn't like the fact that uh, Rustin is gay. And so he's another civil rights leader who's, he's, who's a senator, and he's not happy with um, the fact that a rapscallion who's not a heteronormative person who is was a communist at some point is like heading this thing yeah and it's kind of sad because like he just never got the recognition but it is like a happy movie Uh, there is a lot of reenactments and actual video of real violence towards people and things that really did happen in the civil rights movement so i just will trigger that for you like the birmingham the videos of the kids in Birmingham getting hosed, it's mm-hmm. on there. Which is never fun, especially because we live near Birmingham. Yeah. So, like, you know, um, not fun. Um, but there's reenactments of, like, all the school integration stuff and um, the sit-ins where they were, like, pouring ketchup all over people and oh, stuff. Yeah, so it's like sad. It's hard to watch, but it's brief, and it's not, like... It, it's not a downer. It's a pretty, like, inspiring movie. And the character himself is, like, a very upbeat and, like, genuinely kind of, like, a happy dude. And he's always like, hey, let's let's all inspire the people and stuff. So it's actually, like, very fun. And, like, I found that this Trial of Chicago 7 tried to be like this movie, but, like, didn't have the heart this movie has. I think this movie, being told by... Uh, two black queer men of the actor and the director, I think really get the story right and correct. And I think it's the perfect example of the right person for the right story. Unlike the last movie we're going to talk about briefly, (laughs) which is, you were right, good intention, bad execution, Marty. Yeah, yeah, which I told Katie right before we started recording, and I was like, at least it's better than The Irishman. Like, I don't know, guys, I just don't like The Irishman, but... We're talking about... 
the one, the only killer <laughs> of the Flower Moon, which I thought may have been our best picture winner until I watched it, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, it's gonna be Oppenheimer." It's gonna be Oppenheimer. It's gonna be Oppenheimer, which I also felt was very boring, personally. I, uh, you know, Oppenheimer though, it felt like it had a lot more character to it. Oppenheimer, at least I understood. Oppenheimer's dilemma. By the way, there's two YouTubers I watched that I agreed with their stuff. Alachia Queen, who went on about the differences between the movie and the book, and I did listen to the beginning of the book. Book is way more interesting than the movie, weirdly. And um, another person, um, Native Media Theory, who they also did a perspective on Prey when we watched it. Oh, nice. I love Prey. But they did, like, a Native perspective of the film and why, like, it's not... Even though it was well-intentioned, they didn't really represent of the Osage Nation very well. But probably the worst part, and this lady talked about this, and that's why I was like, I agree, because we were talking about this when Scott and I watched it, was that the film didn't answer the quintessential question I kept asking, why did she marry him, and why did he marry her, but yet he's doing all this terrible shit to her? Hello. Was Ernest just too dumb to realize what was happening? Did Molly... Why did she have a guardian still if she had married her husband to get rid of the guardianship? I don't understand. What was the point of all these Osage women marrying these white men if it wasn't to get rid of the guardianship? Because it just doesn't make sense. Because the whole thing is the Osage Nation struck it... They bought their land from the U.S. government, which is why they had mineral claims to their land where most Native people did not, Indigenous people did not... In this, in the eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. Kismo? I know, it was a terrible movie, and you watched it with us. Um, Kismo's crying because it was so terrible. So they struck oil, and there was, like, a core group of people, of families in the Osage Nation, that were filthy rich because of it. Yeah. And what happened was, because the Osage was its own entity it wasn't really you weren't really an american citizen you're a citizen of the osage nation technically they had to have a guardianship of a you know american person who was generally a white person unfortunately i mean i'm white but still it was very racially motivated and they had to manage their money so you see that at the beginning where she's asking for money for medicine for her and her mom but it's her fucking money so then a lot of these Osage women would marry white men or vice versa so that they could have their husbands be their money guardians because remember women couldn't even have their own checking accounts at this point yeah but then you still see that she has a guardian halfway through the movie so that's a big plot point for me that was a giant plot hole so i don't think it was necessarily that the husband just took over guardianship i do think there was some traditional romance and wooing too that was happening oh yeah no but there was a lot of like quid pro quo yeah well okay that's the point in the movie is like part of it is like they want to have this love story but there's not much of a love story there this is where it gets really really wonky so you know this is a spoiler. This is actually history. So Molly and Ernest had three children. One unfortunately died when they were a child. Mm-hmm. But the, their son and daughter did grow and they did have their own children. And that's where one of the granddaughters, she was like, I do believe my grandpa did love my grandma. And yeah. that was that was the hard thing. Because, yeah, I mean, Molly was being poisoned. Like, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. Ernest well, was more than likely the one Highly suspected, because yeah. they never tested anything. Yeah. But highly suspected that Ernest was poisoning her. Not that he... And I'm not saying he didn't love her, but they... they 
So also, okay. Oh, that's where it gets so complicated, though. Yeah. So the movie originally was supposed to be Leonardo DiCaprio playing the character of Thomas White, who's Mm -hmm. the guy that Jesse Plemons ends up playing in this movie. And the formation of, the formal formation of the FBI because of this incident. So the Osage Nation was supposed to be represented, but it was going to be a more minor role, and it was more about the FBI. Great idea for a Scorsese film. He loves crime stuff and, like, FBI versus mobsters and criminals and shit like that. You know, those are his best movies. The Departed, Goodfellas, probably Casino, which I still haven't seen Casino, but, like, all of those. Even Gangs of New York is kind of like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatest movies for him. Fantastic. Well, Leo DiCaprio is supposed to play this part. Apparently, Leo goes to Marty, allegedly, and is like, oh, I think this would actually more be like a love story between Molly and Ernest, and you should focus on Ernest, who is a bad person, in my opinion. I'm sorry, you poison your wife, you become a bad person. Yeah. And they completely flipped the script, and then they're trying to make like a romance slash mystery, and the book presents it as a mystery where it's mostly told from the perspective of Molly, her family, other Osage members, and the FBI. Which and you don't know the who better the story. Is, which is the, the better, better story, story because you don't know who the murderers are. This movie starts out with Robert De Niro as Ernest's uncle, who was the big head William of Hale. all the, William Hale. Yeah. And he's like, hey, if you want to marry an Osage lady, that would be cool because they have money. And then, like, you're like, oh, so you're the bad guy from, like, second one, which yeah. made the whole movie fucking boring because I'm just watching these terrible things happen, but I know the whole perspective of everybody, and I didn't like that. Yeah. I needed to want more. I needed to have some mystery to be invested in the story instead of just fucking bored. Yeah. And that was the thing. So I think, like, I don't know what Leo was thinking, but in my head, I think he fought, all played this, like, this very interesting <laughs> historical character who loved his wife but was poisoning her but you know there's this gray area where ma- this is this is I'm not please understand when I say this this is gonna weird it's like but Ernst is a victim too and it's like no the fuck no, he's, he's not a victim but, but in a way in a way he is he's not a victim in the way the Osage are absolutely not because the Osage were violently murdered but the thing is you know he was being manipulated by his uncle, which damn, yes. he was a fucking grown man. He didn't need to be manipulated, but he was because he wasn't as educated as his uncle. He was easily manipulated. But eventually, William was planning to kill Ernest, too. He wanted their money. Which they don't even, like, they don't even show that aspect. That would have yeah. been more. But the yeah. thing is, Robert De Niro, and this is another thing that that but, queen lady said, was like, he's really good yeah. at playing a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. But. We don't get to fall for it because we know he's the wolf the whole time. Oh, that's the thing. And so that's the thing. It's like, do I think Ernest was a victim? No, not really because of what what he, he did was, was, in, was in, inexcusable. Yes, yes, he was manipulated, but it was still inexcusable. But, you know, that's the thing. We don't really get to explore that because it's like, oh, I gave her some poison. Oh, I'm going to take a little bit too and cry. You know, like that's, yeah, the, only kind the, that's that. the only kind of thing we're really exploring. But, or, or... The other thing I thought maybe he was trying to do was say that Ernest was so naive or stupid that he didn't understand that he was poisoning his wife. That he he yeah. thought it was legitimately but just slowing her down because she was getting too close to the truth until they could figure something else out. But then, why was he okay with everything else? Like, he knew everything else, though. Like, it didn't siblings it, were dying. He, yes. And it just, like... But he also, like, arranged other people's murders. So, like, obviously what... And the other thing that bothers me 
is like Leonardo DiCaprio is too old to play this part. Yes. Because Lily Gladstone, I mean, she's and and this was a woman who had been married once before and was a little older to be getting married at that time. So I can, you know, she can pass anywhere between late twenties. Mid thirties, I think. Like, I think in real life, Ernest was maybe like twenty eight, twenty nine, and I think she was yeah. like thirty five, thirty six, maybe. Yeah, and she looks much younger than him because yeah. she one is. Yes, and Lily Gladstone. By the way, everyone acts really well in this movie. It's just the direction is so flawed that it's boring, and that's not the actor's fault. And Lily Gladstone does a good job, but she's not given much because she's a Scorsese female role. Anyways, but sorry, I I interrupted myself. Back to age. He doesn't look young enough to be a young man returning from World War One. Yeah. And I can suspend my disbelief enough. We we have theater degrees, so I'm like, okay, I can suspend the, the yeah, disbelief. Yeah, but in the theater, but he's 85 still, feet away from the person. But still, like, yeah, he probably wasn't the right choice for this role. But I could see him as the fucking... FBI agent. F- and honestly, but Jesse Plemons looks more like Ernest in is, real life. This is one of those movies... This should have been. I agree with you. Jesse Plemons would have been the better choice. Ernest. It should. Yeah, he should. Jesse Plemons should. Because he's her. a baby face, so I can believe he's younger than he this is. This movie should have been a limited series. Yes, it, it should have been, been a miniseries. Like, and what should have happened is that different episodes could have took you through the perspective of different people in the community. But you save the Ernest William Hale thing for, for the, the last end. half. The last half. Because if you tell us who the bad guys are, also what was with the weird Molly monologue? I think this movie would have been great with a framing device. Well, you know... And there's not one, but there's a random radio play at the very end. They obviously... So, Marty, Marty's consulted the Osage very much on, like, he the, did. Clo- the clothing, the dialogue, but I know Katie saw the same premiere videos that I did, so at the premiere, they were stopping members of the Osage Nation, and they were like... And I know there's a man, and I forgot his name, but he was like, I'm just, he's like, honestly, he's like, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed because he's like, they made it into a love story, and it's not really a love story. You're poisoning your wife. And I know, I remember him yeah. saying this pretty verbatim on the red yeah. carpet, this member of the Osage Nation. So when you have something, and this is a story that needs to be told, right? Because I'll yes. be honest, this was a book for years, and I had no idea this book existed. And I think Martin had good intentions with yes. adapting this story, and like he, like he consulted members of the Osage Nation. And everything. The intention was good. I don't really care for the execution and the final yeah, product. I just think also he needs a better editor because three hours and forty minutes is too fucking long, Marty. Really? At that point, why not just flush it out completely and make it? I don't understand just why not a make a limited series. It still could have won a shit ton of Emmys if it had yeah. been a limited series. Even so, this is the thing. So, you know, it shows how these members of this tribe are violently killed. And that was a big thing, a big debate. It's like, so do we show how they're killed so people understand how devastating seriously serious this was? But then there's people that are like, you are like, you know, what's the word? Glorifying. Glorifying, you know, the way we were murdered, and that's traumatizing. So it's really, I just don't think, I don't know, I think this should have been adapted differently. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm glad I watched the movie. I really do think Lily Gladstone will probably be our Academy Award for Best Actress. Yeah, I think yeah. she did a great I think Molly should have been telling the story from day one. Yeah. I think we should have had it like her on her deathbed telling her children and make it very ambiguous if she's dying on her deathbed of the poisoning or of natural causes because she did die of diabetes complications. You know uh, you know what's crazy? So a few of the things that if they had 
actually expanded this movie and have really been able to do more in deep dive. So something I've, while researching this, because I think mm-hmm. me and Katie are very similar. You probably watch a movie, read everything you can about it. Mm-hmm. That's how I am too. Mm-hmm. And so, did you come across that, you know how Anna was pregnant? Yeah. That was likely William's baby. She was Ooh. pregnant with William Hell's baby. She also, like, had just divorced her husband. Yeah. Yeah, that's another... Oh, and the book starts out with Anna's murder and points out the fact that the first sister, M- M- Millie? Yeah, I think Millie Mill- was co- healthy her whole life, never sick a day in her life, until the mysterious wasting illness, which was fucking poisoning. Um, which sister's house was the one that blew up? Rita. So did you also read or come across that Molly and her children were supposed to be Rita's house? That the night sense. that it blew up. Because they had been staying there a lot. And the only reason they weren't is when the kids got sick and they went home. So, I mean, that's like devastating Murder. to think about. Yes. But, like, remember how, like, The Departed had, like, all that... that Remember the part of The Departed? That, that cool was, Flogging Molly song? Yeah. But, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but the montage with the Flogging Molly. With yeah, shipping I'm off to Boston. Shipping off to Boston. Yeah. You know how, like, all this shit's going down and you're, like, excited? I'm like, where was that? I mean, I don't need to see people get murdered, but, like, you're showing, like, Ernest, like, Rob Banks? Yeah. Which I've never read. I mean, maybe he did, but, like, I don't think that... I don't care about that. It's all told for from Ernest and Bill's perspective. Yeah. Or Will or whatever his name was. I think it was Bill. I think his nickname was Bill. Yeah. But Ernest and Bill are the shittiest people. I don't want to know about it from their perspective when you're also giving us the victim's perspective. And I think Molly is a very powerful person who figured out... That her husband was trying to kill her and got the fuck out of Dodge. And unfortunately, she did die of complications with diabetes when she was like 50. But she still had a happy last marriage until then. And, you know, I I don't... I I can get the gray area of like, he loved his wife, but his uncle pressured him to kill her. But like, you could have just like not poisoned her. You could have just told them you're poisoning her. Yeah. But that's not what happened. So I don't like the story being pushed like he was this great romantic yeah. hero. And I don't think I think I don't think it did. I didn't feel like we got the I feel like the whole movie in my opinion was was Ernest was not a good man and he was kind of an idiot and was easily manipulated until the end he finally chose what was right. But it took literally But he still didn't tell yeah. the truth. Yeah he didn't She tell just her wants the truth. to know did yeah. you poison me and he's like I don't wrap my nose. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just well-meaning, but it's a big old stumble. Also, there was a weird radio show at the end oh. to wrap everything up. What the fuck was that? I did read it, because I thought, I was like, did he just want to, like, have, like, his musician friends in the movie? And then, like, Jack White. But I found out <laughs> what really happened there, because, you know, Marty is the one that reads about, like, uh, Molly dying. And he's wanting, the reason he, I don't, I'm not going to explain this as eloquently as what I read, but it's basically it was like he he was worried about it being sensationalized. And by reading the end, he's the one acknowledging that he sensationalized the story a little bit. Is what it's That's meant, not how it came out, It's though. what it meant to be. Yeah, I would, I would prefer never... white text on a black background. And, then, and I liked the very end with the Osage Nation. Yeah. Uh, members like dancing. I do like that. That was fine. I did like that. Do the text over that. See, I if I hadn't read that, I would have never gotten that. They did that at the end of Rustin. They were like, 
this is what happened. He fell in love and was with his partner until oh. he died in 50 years after the March on Washington got the Medal of Freedom from Obama. So, Ernest... <gasps> That's the other thing. Yeah. Rustin is produced by the Obamas. Oh, they, wow. That is the Academy's fucking bread and butter is oh, to nominate wow. movies that they, they produce. So, what the fuck? I did Academy. I, I did want to say real quick about Ernest. So he he died like in the eighties, and like he, I guess he wanted his ashes spread over like the Osage uh, country. Oh my God. And instead, his son chunked them in the river. Ah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I will say. <laughs> so the two Oscar movies Scott went to watch was Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and Killers of the Flower Moon because he loves Martin Scorsese movies, and he hated it because it was way too long, and he was like. They could play this as torture, and human rights activists would get involved. Yeah. Because this is so long. It's awful. It's And it, it's just like, it was so torturous, and we were just like, like, it took us two sittings to watch this movie. I did watch this one all in one sitting, and it was very <sighs> hard, but I was, like, determined, because, like, all, basically, <laughs> the only people I had seen it so far were a few of my male friends at work. <laughs> And I was like, if they can all watch in the theaters, then I'm going to sit my ass here and not move. And I did it, guys. It was hard, though. Well, did you watch anything else? That's really all I watched. Except I've been watching a lot of Island Living on HGTV on Max. I feel like there was something else I watched, but nothing Oscar. That's all I've watched. I'm trying to get through all the Oscar movies. Yeah, that's a good thing. I feel like I'm in a good place, but like I said, I gotta get through. I, I'm trying to figure out if I want to watch like all the best actor and actress categories. I I probably need to, but at least after American Fiction and Zone of Interest, will be I'll be done with Best Pictures. So. I still have six Best Pictures to watch. I thought I was doing better. Yeah. And then I realized Rustin was only nominated for actor, and I was like, fuck. It turns out that Past Lives, not the oldest, but Past Lives has the furthest back release date because Past Lives was released in June, which yeah. means all the other ones were released in the latter half of the yeah. year. So I was surprised that one didn't get nominated for some acting awards. Uh, she, Greta did, pretty much at Golden Globes. That's what made me mad. It was like, Greta is, like, phenomenal in that movie, but she wasn't nominated. So, and then, mm-hmm. um... The director, I just completely... I was going to be really cynical about, well, they had Minari two years ago, so now they're... Oh, yeah. And last year, Everything Everywhere All at Once, they've reached their quota for diversity. That's me being cynical. Yeah. Hopefully that's not the real reason, but I do think I, you know, stuff... Unfortunately, a lot of it is on purpose, and that doesn't mean that a, a person who's deserving doesn't win the award, but when things are calculated... And people that probably should be up for awards aren't. It just makes me annoyed because I don't think you should. I think diversity is important. And I think we shouldn't be nominating people to fill a quota. I think we should be nominating people because we should look at everyone's art as equal. And and everyone should be nominated. I, I just, I wish we lived in a world where I didn't know that some of it is cynical. Yeah. But then you see like. Like, last year was so great, and it made so much history, and I was, that was great, but then this year I feel like but it's a give is, and take every year. This is what's weird. So this, 2023 was a great year for film, great year for film, but Banshees of Insurance was better than half of our Best Picture nominees. Yeah. In my opinion. Like, I was like, if this... I if, kind of wish Banshees... Had, well, I don't uh, want everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, everything everywhere all at once. Banshees was so Banshee fucking was, good. If Banshees had been released 
this year it probably would have been our best picture winner honestly. but i'm happy there are a lot of diverse nominations and i'm happy yeah. for that but sometimes i'm like i do i know the people that run the academy and i know some of it is a quota of and it's sad that you can see through that i think it's very interesting that how and i know we said this again and again so literally like actors are voted in by our actors are nominated by actors and so you take from the short list and those actors you know compile their five nominees for best actor and then yeah. from those they're voting and it's like the same with directors it's the same with uh you know script writers and so to me that's very very interesting and in how we come to our final choices every year because i don't know because once again you know celine song who directed past lives this was her directorial debut and she wasn't yeah. nominated for director which is her directorial debut, which is a fucking phenomenal directorial debut. Yeah. But at least she was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. So I'm like, well, well at least that's Emma Fennell got that for Promising a Woman, so yeah. maybe. It's I a just, possibility. And I'm sorry I'm so cynical. I just want... the. I just... Awards are so weird for me, because, like, it doesn't always go to the person that deserves it. But I'm happy... I'm happy for uh, America Ferreira. I'm happy for... Coleman Domingo, I'm happy for Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Um, I'm happy for Lily Gladstone. I'm happy for Divine... Devine? Devine. Yeah, there, there Devine, is... What is Devine's Devine Joy Reynolds? Joy? Joy? That De- might be it. Devine, Devine Joy? Because I really enjoy her. I only yeah. saw on the idol she before is, this. She is phenomenal in the holdovers. Like, I really do love I'm, her. That's, I'm yeah. going to watch that this week. That's the on, I think, Hulu or... It's on Peacock. Peacock, yeah. yeah. It is... That's one I've been wanting to watch, too. Um... So and Paul Giamatti, that's great. Paul Giamatti is great. There forever. Uh, there's a person of color in every single acting category this which year, is which is great. great. Maybe I'm one. being too cynical. No, it's you know but, what? It's okay because there uh, an award does not really denote a good movie. It's nice to be recognized by your right. peers, but it does not denote a good movie because there's plenty of movies that are like three, four star movies that people loved last year. Like, You you Hurt My Feelings is very high on my list. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I, I really want to see You Hurt My Feelings. And that was the one that, oh, there was a lot of Oscar buzz when Salt it came burn. out. Saltburn. Saltburn, and I know Saltburn's a yeah. little trashy. Oh, uh, honestly, like, Saltburn got kind of fucked over. A lot of people were thinking All Dirt Roads Tastes of Salt, too, was going to be one. That, yeah, yeah I, was gonna I be, need to watch that one. That's been yeah. on my list. Yeah, um, there was a few other ones that people thought were going to get nominated. Oh, um... The Iron Claw. A lot of people thought the Iron Claw. I didn't Claw. know that. That one hasn't even been out in theaters yet. Yeah, it came out in December. It was right at the oh, tail fuck. end. Yeah, it was right at the tail end of the year. Shit. Yeah. Because Scott and I have been wanting to go watch it. And it I probably is going to come to Surmi soon, I would Good. guess. Yeah. But we've been talking for a while. Sorry. We told Brian it would be an hour. It's an hour and a half in. But we're going to say goodnight. Watch. What's the movie we're doing next week? Oh, shit. Werewolves Among... No, not Among Werewolves Us. Within, right? Werewolves Within. Which Thank is God. actually based on a video game. Yes. And I finally remembered that it was a video game, but it's a VR video game, so I've never played it. I, I was reading about that today, but I almost called it Werewolves Among Us, and I was like, no, that's not right. That's a different video that's game. That's a good for video game. So, yeah, Werewolves Within is streaming on Hulu, I believe. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, so, watch that. It's a horror comedy. Cleanse our palates between yeah. all of... The very depressing ones. But yes, watch that. Okay, but we love y'all. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Spade and new your pets. Take care of yourselves and one another. And wash we your just, hands. Wash your hands, and we just look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. Stay, Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye. Bye.
Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.